today on the Tearsheet Podcast. I think we view ourselves as a payment alternative, but also as a, a retail partner and a consumer partner. And what we're really trying to do is, is enable consumers to, to spend responsibly. Uh, so I think that that goes beyond being a, a payment option. Um, and certainly, you know, we, we build very close partnerships with our retailer partners, um, supporting them in, in terms of, you know, customer acquisition, growing their business, um, and in increasingly in the future, uh, supporting their in-store businesses as well. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. Afterpay is one of the fastest growing buy now, pay later firms in the world. Based out of Australia, the fintech has recently expanded into the U.S., and is planning to expand to Canada soon as well. Afterpay US CFO Laura Nadler joins us on the podcast to discuss Afterpay's model and how positioning itself as a partner to retailers has helped to chart a path for growth. Nadler has spent most of her career at traditional financial firms like Visa, and we talk about the tailwinds in the business and how COVID is impacting customers and merchants alike. We also discuss Afterpay's launch of a new loyalty program. Laura Nadler is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. What could you do with better real-time consumer data? All data aggregation from Fiserv enables access to consumer permission data from over 18,000 sources. Lenders, advisors, fintech firms, and financial institutions can turn this data into actionable insight for their customers. Go to Fiserv.com slash all data to learn more. I am Laura Nadler. I am the North America CFO for Afterpay, which I joined at the beginning of January. Prior to that, I spent six years at Visa and have spent most of my career in finance and strategy roles at large financial services companies and payments. So fair enough to say this is your first fintech experience. Yes. And I knew I was going to be in for a big change, but I don't think I anticipated (laughs) the magnitude of everything that would happen over the past six months. Yeah. Well, do you think, obviously it's magnified because of what's happened over the past six months, but um, can you talk a little bit about that transition moving from, you know, like a traditional company like Visa to um, a fast growing fintech? Sure. Uh, One of the things I thought about a lot, I kicked the tires and and tried to get a reality check of what it would be like to, to go from big companies to, to younger and, and faster growing companies. Um, for me, I realized that, that the times I loved at big companies were the times when they were undergoing a lot of change and when they weren't acting like big companies. Hmm. So I decided to, to take the leap and uh, go someplace where that would be my, my full-time experience. And, and what about the transition, I guess, did you find most challenging? I think the, the pace. I, hmm. I certainly knew going in that it was going to be intense and... Um, I worked at a pretty fast pace in, at Visa and, and my other companies, but there there are things that we do at Afterpay, you know, in, in two or three days that, that would have taken weeks or months at a larger company. So so let's switch to Afterpay. Um, for for listeners who may not be familiar with it, can you, can you tell a little bit about um, the lender? Sure. Um, so Afterpay enables consumers to buy now, take now and pay later with four interest-free installments. It's actually not a traditional loan. Uh, We do no credit check, there's no interest, and there's no way to revolve. Uh, Afterpay globally is offered at over 55,000 retailers and brands, 
And in the US, we've grown to be over 15,000. Uh, to give you a, a little bit of a flavor, um, we've got Kylie Cosmetics, Finish Line, Urban Outfitters, ASOS, Ulta Beauty. And in addition to the, to the benefit to consumers of being able to, to plan and budget and manage their spend, uh, obviously we think there's great benefit to retailers who, um, who get to, to grow new customers as well as accelerate their sales. Our shop directory in the US referred 10 million leads to retailers uh, in the month of May. And as our network grows, of course, that number will grow as well. That's awesome. And I guess it helps the retailers because they can sell more product and they don't, they don't have to put up the financing themselves, right? That's right. Okay. So can you talk a little bit about the model? Um, you mentioned it's not an, there's no interest attached to the, the four payments. Can you just talk about, I guess, how, how a consumer would um, transact with Afterpay? Sure. So from a consumer standpoint, um, you know, you, you go to your retailer, uh, you can go through the shop directory, you can go through the retailer's site. And when you're checking out, you're presented with a choice and, and can choose Afterpay. Uh, when you do that, you'll see what your four equal payments will be, and the app will keep track for you of your payment schedule. We also send you a reminder when, when a payment is going to be due um, so that you can make sure you, you plan for that. And for, for consumers, as long as they're paying on time, there are no fees and, and no surprises. And now a word from our sponsor. At Tearsheet's day-to-day conference, by service Paul Diegelman drilled down into the future of personal financial management. Paul, you're talking about PFM 2.0. It's actually two separate and distinct applications. Liquidity is a huge problem right now. Just People just don't have time to do things twice. Basically, most parts of the country shut down for COVID. Our PFM user growth was over 20% in the first two weeks alone. Underrated 100%. How could we use AI to impact PFM? I'm up for anything that helps people. And to help people, you need an economic model. To access the full video from Paul's talk, go to tearsheet.co slash speed of life. And so, and how do you, how do you get away without doing a credit check? Uh, well, we've built our own algorithms and, and models, and we actually look transaction by transaction. Interesting. And obviously BNPL, you know, as we call it in the industry by now, pay later is, is, is growing. Um, after pays roots are, are in Australia. Can you talk, I guess, maybe about some of the macroeconomic sort of tailwinds to the sector? Sure. Um, and certainly some of those tailwinds and, and trends have accelerated over the, the past number of months uh, during the, the global pandemic. Uh, I would say one, one significant tailwind is the fact that many millennials and, and Gen Z consumers don't want to use credit. Um, they really prefer to um, be able to, to use their own money, plan, and, and budget. So we, we've seen research that says about only 29% of millennials use credit for everyday purchases. That rate's even lower for Generation Z. Um, 90% of afterpay payments are made by consumers using debit card to, to make their installment payments. So that, that is certainly a trend which, you know, was at the heart of, of why afterpay was founded. Um, and it's accelerated during the, during the COVID period. Customers are, are really avoiding expensive credit options. Um, looking at the, the earnings release for my former employer Visa last week, 
they, they've seen U.S. credit volume decline over 20% at the same time that debit grew 8% in the, in the most recent quarter. Uh, so, so that's one key trend. Uh, another that, that has been very evident over the past uh, four to six months is the shift of, of spending online. And I think over about 10 years, online, shift, online spending as a percentage of retail sales grew about 10 percentage points. Uh, in about eight weeks this spring, it grew another 10 percentage points. Uh, so, you know, obviously, a lot of our businesses transacted online. Uh, we are launching in-store in the U.S., and, and that's an established product in Australia. But those are, those are two big trends that, that we've seen over time, and also we've seen accelerate recently. That makes a lot of sense. Can you talk about, um, you described sort of the flows um, with, with the online uh, checkout. What does it look like in-store for a consumer? In-store, we are partnering with Apple Pay and Google Pay. So for a consumer, it, it basically looks and feels like a, a contactless transaction using, using one of those wallets. Uh, again, with information from our app to, to help consumers understand you know, what their four equal payments will be and to track that payment schedule. So uh, it sounds like because it's in the checkout flow, like, you know, consumers look at this as, as a payment option, not as a loan. Um, and I guess structurally it is as well. But do you guys look at it that way? Do, do you view yourselves as, as just a, a payment alternative? I think we view ourselves as a payment alternative, but also as a, a retail partner and a consumer partner. And what we're really trying to do is, is enable consumers to, to spend responsibly. Uh, so I think that that goes beyond being a, a payment option. Um, and certainly, you know, we, we build very close partnerships with our retailer partners, um, supporting them in, in terms of, you know, customer acquisition, growing their business, um, and in increasingly in the future, uh, supporting their in-store businesses as well. Is that the afterpay uh, secret sauce? I mean, I, we've been covering the sector, you know, for a few years, the firms of this world. Um, but afterpay's growth, again, I haven't, this is qualitative, not quantitative, but like, it just seems like it's so outpaced everybody else. Um, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I think the, the growth is because both, both consumers and retailers value what we do. And we've really built the business to be a win-win-win business. Um, in terms of growth in the U.S., um, you know, certainly, certainly progressive retailers see the, the benefit of um, building a business and, and focusing on millennials and, and Gen Z who prefer to budget and, and to pay over time. So I think a lot of the growth has, has been driven by, you know, the value we deliver on both sides of, of the network. Um, and also being able to, to leverage a lot of the learnings from the Australia business. And I guess, um, is there like sort of a portfolio strategy that you guys employ when you think of bringing in new retailers? Like you talk about progressive retailers in a way, um, you know, by, by partnering with them, you, you, you ride their growth as well. I mean, is, there, is that part of the strategy? Yeah, and I would say that, you know, we, we see it as a, a virtuous cycle with, with our retailer partners, uh, but certainly the, the stronger our network becomes, uh, the more referrals and, and growth our retailers will see. 
in the US, we have primarily focused in fashion, beauty, and lifestyle so far, uh, but certainly new verticals will, will be an opportunity over time. And the Australia business has, has expanded into new verticals and, and really shown that, that the model works and, and is transferable across sectors. So I, I guess as a follow-on question, do you do much consumer marketing or are you focus more on uh, like merchant acquisition? We, we really focus on both. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the consumer brand is important and uh, that benefits, you know, consumers in terms of knowing what we're about and that they can, that they can trust us, that, that uh, this really is a business that's built in, and founded in, in trust and financial responsibility. Um, the brand is is also beneficial to to retailers and and you know having a strong consumer brand obviously attracts attracts consumers and and that's incredibly valuable to our retailer partners as well. That makes sense. And and how do you you know as the sector becomes um, I, I guess as consumers become aware and merchants as well, um, how, how do you guys differentiate Afterpay versus some of the other options out there? Yeah, I would say. Uh, our value proposition is purposefully different uh, in that we don't offer traditional loans and, and you know, no credit check, no interest. Uh, Afterpay is offered on discrete purchases and, and not a line of credit. Uh, we also take it a step further. And if a consumer is late on payment, they, they actually can't use Afterpay to buy more until the repayment is made. So this helps consumers avoid debt and frankly helps us manage risk as well. So again, a win-win. Uh, so, so we really stand for financial wellness and, and good payment behavior. Uh, a great example of that is the loyalty program that we recently launched. And I, yeah, I do view that. this as a, as a differentiator. Um, our loyalty program actually rewards consumers for on-time payments. Um, which I think is pretty different from most loyalty programs, which are encouraging spend and you get, you know, more points for more spending. Um, our program, uh, if, you, if you qualify and you qualify by making on-time payments uh, over time, um, consumers who, who are in the program uh, are able to, to make some different choices, including no payment upfront on eligible orders, uh, being able to reschedule payment due dates up to six times every year, uh, buying gift cards from, from some new brands uh, that, that uh, weren't previously on the Afterpay network, and also receiving future exclusive offers and, and limited launches in partnership with retailers. Um, that, that's an interesting point. I, I guess I have an, uh, another question. It goes back maybe to your visa routes. Um, so actually, I, I live in Israel, and a lot of um, our our debit cards uh, are actually built in with multiple payments um, at the card level. So what most mm-hmm. everywhere you swipe, pretty much you can you can do that at the point of sale. Uh, how do you guys think about? And I know Visa and Mastercard both have have launched partnerships in the buy now pay later space. Like, do you do you view them as as a potential competitor? You view them as a channel partner? How do you guys think about the the card companies? We, we use them as a partner for sure, um, and an important partner. They, they are working with us both on accepting consumer payments. Um, and our consumers do use primarily debit and, and also credit, but, but that rides on card rails. Um, in addition, our in-store product, um, 
leverages leverages the card rails. So they're definitely an important partner to us. Interesting. And and do they act as a partner in terms of um, merchant acquisition as well? Um, I haven't seen that as much. Although mm -hmm. I I did work with the with with the head of merchant sales and acquiring when I was at Visa and and have introduced her to our global head of sales here at Afterpay. Awesome. Um, so can we look at, I guess, into the future, I guess. So, so you, you've been in, in place since January during the crazy, most tumultuous time of probably all of our lives. Um, what are you thinking about the future? Like what are your biggest priorities like into the second half of 2020 and, and looking ahead? Sure. I, I think, you know, it's, it's all about driving growth and, and really continuing to, to build out the network. And there, there are three ways that, that I see for us to, to drive growth and, and that we would prioritize. Uh, the first is continuing to innovate and bring value to consumers and retailers. And obviously the, the loyalty program and in-store are great examples of that. Um, in addition, we have the opportunity to, to grow in new markets and uh, very excited. Canada is up next, so we'll be launching in Canada before the end of the year. Uh, and finally, in the U.S., uh, we continue to have lots of, lots of room for growth, both within fashion, beauty, and lifestyle, and also the new verticals we talked about. So we plan to continue to invest in both consumer and merchant acquisition to accelerate our growth here. That's amazing. And um, I, my, my last question, I want to circle back to, I guess, where we started. Um, six months ago, when you transitioned from, you know, traditional FI to, to a fintech, is there something um, you wish you would have known as you got in? You mentioned maybe the pace is different, but like, look, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but like something that you think um, you could have done better or, or would have been more prepared for knowing that. I think even even knowing the, that it was going to be intense and, and fast paced going in, uh, you know, you, you can't quite prepare yourself for the for the reality of that. Uh, obviously, you know, I put a lot of focus on on building a great team and uh, bringing in people who can who can help me drive that that growth uh, and keep that that pace moving. Um, I, I would also say that. Uh, at big companies, you generally have experts you can go to mm. um, if a if a question comes up uh, around you know a, a particular topic that's not your expertise, you can go and ask the person whose expertise it is. Um, at a at a smaller place, uh, the the onus is really on you to figure it out and. I've really enjoyed that. I think I've, I've learned a tremendous amount in the, in the past um, six or eight months and it, it's fun, but it's, it's also hard. So figuring out, you know, how to, how to navigate, how to get up to speed on things, um, just really having to, to be able to figure things out yourself. Um, it's, a, it's a big difference. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot more, well, intellectual autonomy, maybe. Um, Laura Nadler, Afterpay US CFO, thank you for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Thank you.